We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Would you take your Bibles and join with me again in finding the little bitty Bible book of 3 John. 3 John, you know we've been in a month-long series uh, this month of March. We've been walking through the books of 2nd and 3rd John together. We will conclude that series today as we are looking at 3rd John and asking a very important question, what kind of church member am I? Very simple question. What kind of church member am I? You'll remember that last week we looked at the person of Gaius as we studied together and we saw in him a powerful witness and testimony and a man who was actively involved in ministry. And so today we're going to see two other names that come up in 3 John that are going to help us to determine what kind of church member we are and what kind of church that we want to be collectively here at First Baptist Church of Summit. So in just a moment, as we read together, you're going to see those names come up. You're going to see the name Diotrephes come up. You're going to see the name Demetrius come up. And so we're going to use those as we do a character study, a little deeper dive into these questions and looking at these people and seeing how even 2,000 years later, how they really are representative of the types of people and characters and personalities that you have in churches. You and I both know that churches are full of characters, amen? It's full of characters. I've heard people say it takes all types, and that is absolutely true. And so, as we're thinking about that today, and you're asking the question, what kind of church member am I? I recently read about the first men that walked on the moon. Um, always had a special interest in the moon landing and how incredible that was at the time and how it, it was part of a race to get to the moon. And so we knew nothing about it. We didn't, we were, it was one of the, it was the new frontier, obviously space. And obviously many of you know the story when, when Neil Armstrong, he walks on the moon and what does he say? That one small step for man, but what one giant leap for mankind, right? But what was so fascinating uh, about that is that right now, even today, the footprints that Neil Armstrong made when he walked on the moon, they're still there. Did you know that? All the footprints that were ever made of people on the moon are still on the moon. And the reason for that is there's no erosion. There's no erosion by wind. There's no er erosion by water. So they stay there. And because they stay there, once that imprint is made, you can always go back to that spot and see it. What we're talking about as far as our testimony, as far as our witness, as far as the question, what kind of church member am I? What we're really asking is what kind of footprint are you going to leave on this life? Because you may not leave a physical footprint somewhere, but your legacy is going to leave a footprint on your church, on your family, on your friends, it is going to leave a footprint on your community. So the question this morning is what kind of footprint are we actually leaving? Let's look at the footprint that two men left specifically as we stand together and read 3 John. We'll begin this morning in verse, 19, verse 9. Excuse me. 3 John, beginning in verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us, 
Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Lord God, I pray that you would teach us today as we determine what kind of church member we are. To really look into our hearts and determine, are we a friend of the church or are we a fraud? Lord, what kind of footprints are we truly leaving? God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to examine if we are part of the problem or if we are part of the solution. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would use this time to convict the hearts and lives of your people. Lord, I pray that you would help me to get out of the way of this beautiful Bible text. And we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So your big idea this morning is very simple. Determine the kind of church member you are. Determine what kind of church member that you are. Um, And really, it comes down to two things. Are you a friend of the church or are you a fraud? And to help us answer that question, we're going to get into that character deep dive. And the first person that we're going to look at and that comes up in verses 9 and 10 is this man, Diotrephes. For our time together today, we have labeled him Diotrephes the dictator. Diotrephes the dictator. When you read about him, it jumps off the page. You don't have to be a scholar to read these verses and realize that the Apostle John didn't have very good thoughts about Diotrephes. He was not a friend to the church. He was not a friend to John. He was not a friend to faithful preachers. He was not only a friend, in fact, to himself. The Bible records very clearly the story about him because there's no introduction. It gets right down to it because it describes him in the very first phrase when it talks about Diotrephes. He says, you know Diotrephes. He loves to be what? First. I'm going to have first place. I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to be preeminent. I'm going to be the chairman of every committee. I'm going to be the head of the deacon body. I'm going to be head of the staff. I'm going to be head of the greeting committee. I'm going to decide who does what. If there's going to be a construction project, I'm going to determine that as well. I am going to be the one that rules this place. And in fact, if God wants to show up here, that'd be okay, I guess, as long as he doesn't get in my way. That's diatrophies. And I tell you, there have been many diatrophies that have killed many a church. In his life, we see he insists on being the boss. He insists on having things his way. He demands his rights. You've met people like this, often in church and in other places, that their way is the only way. They're not interested in what anybody else thinks. They're not interested in anyone else's opinion. Uh, they've never been wrong in their life. The only time they might have been wrong, they thought they might have been wrong, they realized they were mistaken even about that. They weren't even wrong that time. This is the type of person that demands that 
his, their rights. They want what they want, and what they want is more important than anything else. We see this play out all of the time in many organizations. You could certainly apply this to business, but specifically, we're looking at the church. We all have been involved with people like this that want it done their way and demand that it be done how they like it. Whether or not it's godly doesn't really matter. Whether or not it ministers to anybody else, it really doesn't matter. Whether or not it makes sense doesn't even really matter. What matters is, is, is it going to be done the way that I like it? Because this is a person that's turned church completely on their head because they have somehow bought into the satanic lie that this is about them. Let me say that again. When you come to church, if you have bought into the satanic lie that this is about you, you've missed the whole point because this isn't about you. We just sang it a little while, who paid it all? So not you, you didn't pay it all, and I didn't pay it all. So if, who, who paid it all, say it one more time, Jesus paid it all, then all to him we owe. He is the one that deserves the honor. He is the one that deserves the exaltation. He is the one that deserves the thanksgiving. He is the one that deserves the praise. And yet, whether it's in a youth ministry or whether it's in a deacon body or whether it's in a committee or whether it's a Sunday school teacher, if you've got people that somehow, even though they might not say this out loud, they really do think that it's all about them, they have missed the point completely. Everything that Jesus said to the apostles made it really clear. Those who want to be the great should be what? The least of these, correct? The Son of Man came what? Not to be served, but to serve, Mark 10, 45, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if Jesus came to serve and not be served, then shouldn't we expect that if we are going to model our life and ministry after Jesus, that maybe it be, just maybe, that everything that the church does shouldn't be about your individual wants and preferences. If that's the case in someone's life, they've got a lot of diatrophies, the dictator that is in them. They're always asking the question, what will this do for me? Always wanting to be served, and they are the exact opposite of John the Baptist. One of my favorite verses, short verses, is John 3.30. Remember this verse. It simply says, he must increase, I must decrease. Sometimes you will hear me pray right before I preach. I pray that the Lord Jesus would become more as I become less. Why? Because John the Baptist understood it maybe better than anyone in Scripture. That everything about his ministry, it didn't really matter. Do you remember when his disciples came to him and they said, Hey, John, we got a problem on our hands. He said, What's going on? He said, A lot of the people that used to be following you, well, they're, they're following Jesus now. Instead of coming to your revival services, they're going to listen to him preach. And he said, Then I did my job. I did my job. All I was ever here for is to point people to him. 
This never has been about me since the time I was born. All I was was a forerunner. All I was was one that could point people towards repentance and faith and point them towards the kingdom of God. That this has never been about me. It's always been about him. And that comes down to not only our individual choices and individual preferences, but the way that we treat people and the way that we encourage people and the way that we support. And sometimes when we recognize that, all of the sudden, if you have a church of people that understand that I refuse to be diatrophies in the church that I serve, get ready because revival's about to break out. Right? You see that jumping off of this text. Not selfish troublemakers with selfish agendas that cause broken churches because I can tell you, I know there's a lot of people throughout church life that have gotten mad and frustrated and some of that has been good people wondering why Churches that could have been good churches have been allowed to be derailed by specific individuals. I want to give you some assurance. That does not escape the vision of God. And it will not escape the judgment of God. You want to be a poison to God's church? Whether or not you get yours in this life, I have no idea. But what I can promise you is, if the Apostle John was able to call it out when he wrote about diatrophies. There's coming a day of judgment. And friends, I want you to know, for those of us that know the Lord Jesus and look forward to that time that we sang about, that the bride of Christ shall rise on that midnight cry, that for those of us that love Jesus and serve him wholeheartedly, we ought to be looking forward to that day. But if church to you is more about you than it is about the Lord Jesus, then friends, that midnight cry is not going to be a good sound for you. It's not going to be for diatrophies. He goes even further in talking about him because he said, there's something that you can tell about these people. If you want to spot a diatrophies, there's something in their life, verse 10, that's going to come up regularly. And notice what it, how it describes him. Notice what he is doing, maliciously talking about us. I'm glad I encountered that little verse a long time ago in my ministry. Because I can tell you that as the pastor of a church, there are times when people say some pretty rough stuff. I mean, they just do. People are people. But I came across this years ago in my ministry, and I read that little verse, and the Lord really spoke to my heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. I got a long way to go, and there's a lot negative that could be said about me, and a lot of it true. I'm a human being. I got problems. I got issues. I got flaws. If you're looking for somebody to pick apart, I'm a pretty good target because you could pretty well tear it down in just a minute. But I'll tell you this. One other thing I'm certain of, if you could find a reason to gossip and talk about the Apostle John, then there are people who are going to find reasons to gossip and talk about anyone. And the Bible is very, very clear on that because the Bible says very, very clearly that out of what the mouth speaks, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, and it's a poison that kills. This is a serious charge because he is denying the gospel by denying the messenger. So 
always keeping people stirred up, always trying to be in the know, always trying to look like that you're of some importance because you know something that somebody else doesn't, being so insecure that the only way you feel better about yourself is to talk nasty about somebody else, to try to bring self-promotion to yourself because you run somebody else into the dirt. If that characterizes you, you've got a serious heart problem. You've got a serious heart problem, especially when we apply this to the fact that we are talking about someone who is talking about other people in the church. So you're tearing them down inside the church body, but you're also destroying the ministry of the church because the people that might have listened to the gospel now won't because you are out telling people how awful making up lies and telling things. And you say, well, hold on a minute. I don't tell anything that's not the truth. I've heard this so much. I'm not really a gossip. I just tell the truth. It's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Sometimes it's better just to keep your mouth closed. You don't have to tell everything you know. You don't have to tell everything you know. Some of you, the reason nobody talks to you is because they know you're going to run their business. They're going to talk, you're going to talk about their business every time you get the chance. That's not the person we want to be. That's certainly not the church that we want to be. And when Diotrephes, when they bring him up, he says this is pretty well explains how he lives his life and how he acts. He had hindered the faithful teachers. He had kept them from being able to be behind the pulpit. He refused them hospitality in the church. He had ran them into the ground and talked nasty about them. And so what we know is that these type of dictators, they are dangerous, obviously, but they're also easy to recognize. How do we know? How do you spot people like this? They like to talk about themselves and what they have done for the Lord. They love to talk about everything that they've done. This is someone that you get a resume every time you talk to them. Sometimes they slip it in subtly, but they're going to give you that resume. They're going to make sure that you know what they did, what they gave, where they've been, what they've done. Let me tell you something. Let your deeds be done in secret. That's what Jesus said. You don't have to advertise everything you do for Jesus. Jesus knows. And if you're a decent, Bible-loving, Christ-honoring Christian, you won't have to tell everybody. You know why? People already know. They already know. You don't have to exalt yourself before men. Let God be the one that exalts you. And when that happens, we, we're able to see that not, the kingdom of God is able to advance most, type, most problems in churches are the result of a Diotrephes the dictator personality. Not every problem, but the overwhelming majority of problems in churches come from people like this. And one of the reasons that it comes from people like this is because good people, God-honoring people, Christ-loving people, Bible-honoring people put up with people like this. Now, I'm not telling you that we ought to be people, any of us should be nasty to another human being. But if you're somebody that allows this and you allow it to happen and you feed it with fodder and you listen to the gossip and you don't ever stand up to someone who acts this way, then you have just poured kerosene on their fire. So we want to be a people that not only aren't this type of person, but we want to be a person who doesn't even allow people like this to gain a foothold or try to gain power. This, this type of description, it reminds me, 
Recently I read, I, I was literally laughing out loud as I read this article. It was talking about Olympic sprinters and those gold medalists who had done well at the Olympics. And they were interviewing them about a, a very strange phenomenon. They, says that, they said that after the Olympics were over, that sometimes before the Olympics, people didn't even recognize them. They might could tell they were an athlete, but they didn't know really who they were. But after the Olympics, people would see them and they would recognize them. They would know, oh, well, that's such and such. They won the silver or they won the gold in some Olympic event. And they said, you wouldn't be able to believe how many people come up to these Olympic athletes, whether it be in a mall or in a store or out to eat, and they'll say something like this. They'll say, I think I could beat you in a race. And they'll challenge them. I want to race you. The only reason I'm not an Olympian like you is because I never had the shot, but I'm fast. They said this hadn't happened a few times, so they interviewed several Olympic runners and asked them if they'd ever had this experience. And all of them said, oh, yeah, I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, I think I could beat you. You want to race? Now, I'm... That's where the story gets interesting to me, because people of extreme high dignity would pro and integrity would just say, oh, I appreciate it. I know you're really, really fast, but, but no, I, I don't, I don't want to race, you know, and they would just bow out. I'm telling you what, if I was an Olympic sprinter and you started tr talking trash to me at the Applebee's, <laughs> I would dust you right out there on Apache or whatever that road is. No doubt right? Well, one of them said he did. He said, finally, this guy was just on and on and on. And they were out in a parking lot. And he said, fine, let's go. And he said, that guy walks out there and you could tell on his face, he really believed he was about to win. So he got this Olympic sprinter to describe what happened next. And all he said was, I dusted him said he took off. And can you imagine, I mean, just gone, like just dusted him, left him standing there. And I kind of think about sometimes how ridiculous the type of personality that I'm describing really is because this is a person who at its core is looking at Jesus saying, I want your rightful place. I want to take your place in the church because I want people to know me and listen to me and recognize me. And it's so ridiculous because you aren't the one that rose from the grave. You aren't the one that died on the cross. You aren't the incarnate Lord. You aren't the soon and coming king. You aren't the maker of heaven and earth. You're not that. So because of that, guess what? You ain't all that in a bag of chips. Right? You're just not. Most of us are familiar with Apple. You've probably got a product right now either in your pocket or you're staring at one with a Bible app on your phone. It's amazing how that company took off, and you can remember that it was founded by two people with the same first name. Anybody remember the two guys I'm talking about? Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, double Steves. Well, as Apple began to grow, it kept growing and growing and growing until eventually they had to give name badges to everyone in the very beginning. And so they started off, and because Steve Wozniak was the one who primarily started Apple first. He was number one. Steve Jobs was number two on their ID badge. One, two. It ate Steve Jobs up so much that he had number two on his instead of number one that he had his ID badge reprinted and had number zero placed on it. 
That's exactly what you will be if that's your attitude. Zero. Absolute zero. So we don't want to be that type of person. We'd rather be somebody like, look what I see next. I love this, short and sweet. Dear friend, don't imitate what is evil. He's talking about the way that Diotrephes acts. But what is good? Anyone who does what is good is from God. It's almost as if he is saying, now let me give you an example of someone like that. Anyone who does what is evil is not seeing God. But we have this man, verse 12, named Demetrius, who is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. And we speak well of him. That's pretty clear. So instead of being like this, Diotrephes the dictator, verses 11 and 12 paint us a beautiful picture of a man that we'll call Demetrius the Dedicated. Demetrius the Dedicated. Every believer in the local church could commend his life, his testimony, and his dedication to the church. This is a person who is consistent in their lives, seeking to honor God. A man's worth can be measured by his reputation in the community, his faithfulness to the truth of Scripture, and the opinion of godly leaders around him. Now, sometimes you hear people say, well, I don't care what people think. Number one, I'm not sure I believe you. But number two, that's a terrible attitude. And here's why. I deeply care what some people think. I may not care about what every person thinks. But the people that I believe that love Jesus and that care about the Word of God, people that are mature and wise, do I care about what they think of me? Absolutely I do. Why? Because this is about character and reputation and integrity. And so this Demetrius that is described here is someone who he is lifting up as an example, just like he had done with Gaius, what we saw last week. Now we see another man that comes out, and I think it's really, really important that Paul points out or excuse me, that John points out two positive examples, one at the kind of bookends them with diatrophies in the middle as the negative example. Sometimes it is, I think the way this, this book is structured, it helps us to see so often we spend so much time thinking about and talking about and worrying about the negative people in our life that we forget that there's more examples of positive people in our life than there are negative people. And you can spend all of your time worrying about some people that you don't need to worry about when you ought to be thinking about the people God has put in your life that are going to help you and benefit you and love you and encourage you you. Instead of allowing a few bad apples to take over your soul and take over your mind and think about it all the time. I'm guilty of this. I'm telling you, young people, I know sometimes it it seems overwhelming because you'll have a few people at school or a few people in a friend group or you'll have people that, that you know and because they may be the gossips, they may be the naysayers, they may be negative, they may be a problem that all of our time and attention goes towards them and if that happens, we've allowed these people to take over our lives. I don't want to allow people like that to take over my life. I don't want to give them that big a part of my heart or that big a part of my soul or that big a part of my mind. I've got to allow that to be let go. Howard Hendricks said something a long time ago, and I believe he's exactly right. He said, out of all of my study and research that I have done, I have found that in every church, 16% of the members will never change. A little over 10% of people. In other words, 
They're just going to be who they are, do what they're going to do. They can go to conferences. They can listen to preaching. They can hear the best music in the world. They can go to all the youth group functions, and they are not going to change. The tragedy of that is, is that we have people and pastors that end up leaving the ministry or leaving the church, and they're leaving it over that 16%. I can't tell you how many pastors I know that have gotten out of the ministry because of the 16%. People that were deadheads. People that cared nothing of the things of God or the Spirit of God and weren't led by the Holy Spirit of God and didn't care about the Word of God. And what Hendricks really encourages people to do, and I think this is important, he said, just accept that there's going to be 16% of people that aren't going to get with the program. They're not going to change. They're not going to adopt. They're not going to be a part of being part of the solution. They're going to be part of the problem. Just accept that and recognize how incredible it is, not that there are 16% of people that may be problems, but that there are 84% of people that are absolutely ready to serve the Lord. 84% of people who are excited about the things of God. 84% of people who want to worship the Lord. 84% of people who don't mind change when it brings glory to God. 84% of people that want to get with the program. And I understand that it is the pastor's job to pastor 100% of the people, but I'm not going to spend 85% of my time worrying about 16% of the people when it doesn't matter what I do, that no matter what it is, you're not going to be pleased anyway. And part of the reason for that is it has nothing to do with me or any other pastor or really anybody else in the church. You're just a problem. You're negative. You're pessimistic. You're probably not just a problem at church. You're probably a problem with your family. You're probably a problem with your friends. If you have any, you're probably a problem at work. If you're in a community group, they wish you'd quit. That's the type of person you are. Well, if that's the type of person you are, some of you are thinking about all the other people that is. I, I'm not thinking of any of you right now specifically. Don't worry about that. I'm really not. I'm not looking at any of you saying, I hope they're hearing this. I'm not. But if you're worried about it, if you're genuinely going, huh, well, it may be time to take some self-inventory. But what I want to tell you is you may be a guest here today. I think we're running a lot better than 84%. I think 16% is extremely high. I don't know that there are 16% of the people here that would be in that category. So what I want to tell you is if you're in that category, you are in the vast minority at First Baptist Summit. Vast minority. Because my experience here is this is a church full of people who want to move forward, who love the Lord, who are excited about the things of God, who understand that it's not about them, that understand that it's about Jesus, that it's not about your preferences or your wants or your whims, and that the church is not here to satisfy every longing that you have. And that so because of that, when we can lay all of those things at the altar, what we're seeing, and one of the reasons we've seen the growth and the discipleship and the things that have happened here is because we 
we have a group of people that are more focused on, to use Hendrix's term, the 84% of people who are thankful that Jesus paid it all and that they realize they owe it all to him, who are looking forward to that midnight cry. And so they're living in light of that. And I want to tell you that when I look out at you, what I believe about this church, as I've read 3 John and studied it, is that I have hit my knees and just said, thank God. Thank God that he has blessed me to pastor a church that is filled with people like Gaius and people like Demetrius. I recognize that everywhere, if you look hard enough and you look under enough rocks, you're going to find some diatrophies. But you, if you're here, you know you're not going to do real well here. And one of the reasons you're not going to do real well here is because we have so many people that are on the program of serving God that you are going to be drowned out. That your gossip, that your negativity is not going to be able to get a foothold. That Satan Satan is not going to allow you to be used, that you are not going to be allowed to be used of Satan to tear up this church because too many people are here and they're absolutely serious about what the role and goal of the church of Jesus Christ is. And I want to say from me to you, thank you. Thank you. No doubt. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is more desirable than riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. We've mentioned several names over the past couple of weeks. Gaius and Diotrephes and Demetrius. They are forever recorded in the annals of Scripture, the inspired Word of God. And their testimonies are forever there. I want to know when you think about your own life, a couple of quick questions. Are you part of the problem? Or are you part of the solution? What type of church member are you? And very straightforward. What type of footprints are you leaving? What will be the legacy? Friends, so many of you know what it is to serve the Lord Jesus wholeheartedly. You're not perfect. But you're doing the dead level best that you can to bring him honor and glory. And that's obvious. And I'm so proud of what God is doing in and through your life. I want you to know that maybe it is today that if you looked into your life and you, you see some things that are lacking, it may be that the biggest reason for that is that you've never trusted Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus, I want you to know that He can wash you white as snow, that He really will pay it all that you really can look forward to that midnight cry. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.